Support for this podcast is provided by Cosmic, a Portland-based agency consisting of technologists, storytellers, and strategists who help nonprofits and B Corps quickly grow revenue and impact. Start growing your mission-driven organization with Cosmic at AmplifyPDX.com. From That Cast Creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. If you've been listening or you know me, I you know I'm I love to nerd out about startups, uh, just different pitch competitions, learning about just super talented people uh, who are starting companies here in the Portland metro area. And uh, one of those competitions is Pitch Black. I had one of their winners on, Renee, uh, three years ago. And so, of course, here pandemic, here we are, and it's coming back. And I'm super excited to have the, uh, I guess, founder, curator, and I think... Uh, uh, suffers from same affliction of me involved in way too many projects. Uh, Stephen <laughs> Stephen Green on the podcast. Hey, Stephen. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. So, and we'll we'll get into all the things you do because I, right. I'm feeling you are like me. We we got our hands on a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, I do a couple things. I do a couple yeah. things. So, we'll, let's start about uh, let's start with Pitch Black. Um, for the folks who yeah. don't know about it, can you just talk about how it started and you know the mission and kind of where it's at? Uh, yeah, um, since we already started off on the foot of doing a lot of things, um, one of those things uh, was one of the founders of Oregon Public House, uh, a nonprofit, not for profit brew pub here in town. And back in 2015, um, Shark Tank was really hot. And, uh, and some new census data had recently come out at that point in time about the number of black businesses in Oregon. It said that um, there's over 5,000 black owned businesses in Oregon. And over the last three years, the number had doubled. And I was like, wow, that, that's crazy. And um, at our pub, we have a, a big venue space upstairs. And so I was like, hey, like, I could throw, I could throw a party for some black businesses for free. Um, and so to a little bit of the secret sauce of, of Shark Tank, of, of people coming and pitching their ideas, um, but shifted it. So instead of uh, Pitch Black, is instead of me pitching to, to stuffy people like Mark Cuban, um, you actually pitch the audience. And so the audience picks the winners um, using a, a mobile app. Um, so we did the first event in July 2015. About 90 people showed up. It was trending on Twitter. It was, it was, it was bonkers. We raised, we gave away 900 bucks that night to the, to the winner. Um, you know, it was this, there was an energy there that we, we knew we were, we were onto something. Um, so fast forward, you know, to, to today, I've um, done events here in Portland, Seattle, Austin, uh, Philadelphia. Um, and I oh, think wow. one of the, the big the big learnings in, in doing Pitch Black is that um, we've got a pretty unique set of circumstances here in, in Portland. Um, we don't have a huge black population, um, but we're also one of the least segregated cities in the country. And so you'll find black entrepreneurs all across the state, all across the region. Um, and in a lot of other places, um, they're actually really segregated and really separate from the, uh, existing entrepreneurial ecosystem. And so, uh, after I did that first year, I had calls from all over the country of people that, you know, saying, Hey, come do it, come do it somewhere else. And 
my first response was, you know, don't you already have something like this here? Yeah. You're Washington DC, you know? Um, and so I, I knew there was something special there and, and, you know, it, it's not the money. Um, it's not, you know, the, the, the pitches it's, it's that we connect ecosystems with the, the black entrepreneurs, um, that are already in their midst. And I think oftentimes when you start talking about black entrepreneurship or Latinx entrepreneurship, it's always a forward thinking like, Oh, we'll start with kids because clearly there's just not many around. Um, as opposed to, you know, today, the most recent census information from 2019, um, Oregon's home to more than 20,000 black and Latinx business owners. Um, and they do a range of things. And so, man, I, I keep the data for Portland. We've done five events in Portland. We've had almost 50 people pitch. Um, they've gone on to raise almost $50 million wow. for their ideas um, since 2015. Um, we've had chemists. We had former rocket scientists. We've had, you know, um, nannies, you know, everything, everything in between come on stage. And um, I think every year, every time we do it, 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 it delivers. And so the last time we did it was back in 2019. It was at Wyden and Kennedy, 450 people there. Um, it was it was bonkers. And so um, I held off doing a, a virtual version over COVID because you know, nothing replaces, you know, being in the room and sharing pheromones. And so, um, with the way Omicron and COVID is, um, still cautiously believing that we can do it next month in February during Black History Month. And so, um, stepped it up a little, a notch. So normally we surprise people that are coming, um, not knowing who, who's pitching this time, got a full website, um, you know, bio, some backgrounds and all the, all the folks that are participating and, um, it's all existing businesses. So, so there's, there's literally no ideas. Cause they're all people that are out swinging to the fences with the, the businesses that they've started themselves. So it's pretty exciting. And then they do, um, uh, get a check or some money at the end, right? And yeah, how, how is yeah. that kind of, how does that work? Yeah. So, um, everyone pays to, to attend the event. And so we take the money from the tickets and then we have sponsors that help us pay for the event. And, and also put into the pool of funding. And so okay. this will be our biggest pot ever. Um, we've got over $50,000 that we've raised. That'll just wow. go to the, the people that are the winners. And so we'll have three or four winners. And, you know, for a five-minute pitch, um, they'll, they'll leave with a good little chunk of change. Um, yeah. Not not a bad night. And it's it's completely granted. It's, it's non-delivered. Okay. So we're, we're not asking for equity in any shape or form. Um, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, sorry. and was that was that intentional to kind of have that model versus like you know a lot of other totally. pitch competitions or like yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my my background, you know, my my career's been spent next its capital, and, and I think that the one thing that's it's proven both working in the equity and and the commercial lending world is that it's not about money, right? And um, most companies aren't built to take on equity. It's just a really bad tool for the job, um, and so. You know, it, it's it's not a ton of money. I, I always wish it was more, um, but it really makes no no sense to go and ask for equity in, in a business that yeah. may not even be on the road of of raising other equity. And so, right. You know, then we're we're paying lawyers a lot of money and all this stuff that may not even be a fit for them. So it makes sense for it to to, to be non dilutive grant funding. And then, what do you uh, are you going to plan on doing in other cities again this year too? Or yeah, so we're already already in talks with some other cities, working with my lawyers to make sure we can we can pull it off. Um, but yeah, no, we've we've already got a, a couple um, in the mess that we'll we'll be doing this summer. So excited to get back out on the road again, and mainly due to some of our great partners that that really want to see us mm. expand and and be able to connect with Black founders all across the country. 
Well, how can, uh, I have a few other things we'll dive into, but yeah. you have some great partners and sponsors. How can companies get involved? There's still sponsors or sponsorships available or? Yeah, still sponsorships available. I mean, we just, we just literally just add money to the, the winner's pot. Um, and so it's, it's a super easy way to do it. Um, we've had some great sponsors already pull up Autodesk, Nike, Intel, um, some really great names in towns, uh, town without even, you know, really doing any fundraising. And so now, uh, over the next few weeks, we'll be kind of putting the metal to the pedal to the metal on, on doing some more fundraising and hoping to get closer to the, the six figure total. It's a nice lump, some yeah. money. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the other thing is there, there is nothing too small. And so one of the other things I love during, during, uh, black history month in February, it's just highlighting different black businesses throughout the, the Oregon, um, Oregon and, and Southwest Washington. And so, you know, if, if, if folks don't want to support pitch black, find a, a black business that you support for lunch, uh, for buying your toilet paper for, you know, whatever the, the case may be, there's, there's definitely probably a, a black owned business in Oregon that, that sells something. So find a way to, to, to chime in and support. And I think, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Built Oregon yeah. at one time maybe had a, a listing or a site dedicated to black businesses. You <clears throat> yeah. So I started doing something four years ago on Twitter where I cover a different black business each day. And then I'm one of the founding board members of Built Oregon. And what we realized uh, in me doing that is, you know, February is a short month. So you got 28 or 29 businesses, but I had a list of a lot more businesses. And so the executive director over there, Mitch Doherty, was like, well, how about I do a list of just, you know, consumer product companies that are black owned around the state. And then between the two of us, now we're close, covering close to 60 businesses throughout the month. Um, and then Rick has always been great about doing that, a really great uh, snapshot of all the businesses in one roll up on Silicon Flourish on his mm -hmm. blog. And so um, it's been working like hotcakes, you know, for the last few years. And it's, it's a really great, easy, cheap way um, to help people all across um, the country, I guess. Yeah. Find out about the amazing black businesses that we have here, right here in Oregon today. And to dive into that a little bit, you said yeah. some stat, stats, and I think it's no secret, or uh, as we've been profiled, you know, the whitest city in the US, but there are a lot of diverse businesses here that, yeah. you know, that, that goes, um, I don't think covered it as much. And, you know, I grew up in a different part of the state. And you were saying, I, I think, you know, when you look at the state as a whole, I don't know how many you said 10,000 or, or maybe it was 5,000. I got that wrong. Um, how do, you know, what do you want people to know about that? Because I think to engage with those and get that message out there, hey, obviously the diversity in our state is, uh, you know, no secret, it's secrets not, but there are a lot of right. amazing businesses owned by people of color. So yeah, I don't know if you can shed any more like- yeah. I think the way I always kind of walk people down this, this path is, you know, um, if you assume people don't exist, you're definitely not going to look for them. You're definitely not going to care about supporting them. And so what if you just assume that there's, there's a black owned business that sells the thing that you're looking for? Um, where would you go to search for that? What are the people you, who are the people that you would talk to about that? Um, and, and thankfully though, you know, our, our city, our, our state is, is diversifying. It, it, we're the most diverse that we've ever been in Oregon history. Um, and, um, you know, black folks in general live across the whole state, you know, where, you know, if you looked at the 1990 census, 80% of black Oregonians lived in two zip codes in Northeast Portland. Um, as opposed to now, like, you know, I, I got a buddy that owns a, a vineyard in North Plains that we go out and volunteer at and 
um, I got to visit a, a, a hazelnut farm in Junction City. That's a fifth generation, you know, black owned farm there. And so it's, it's really cool to expand the, the stories that we tell ourselves about what our state is and what our state isn't. And so yeah. um, just because we're, we're not as diverse as Mississippi or, you know, Georgia or New York doesn't mean that we don't have a, an amazing, thriving, um, you know, a mix of, of cultural things happening throughout our state. And so, yeah. you know, I always challenge people to, to imagine, like, imagine they do exist. Now go and prove that they don't, right? But if you just assume that they don't, then you're never going to go and look. Yeah, and I thank you for that because it's been tough, you know, the last year, a lot of headlines about Portland <laughs> uh, yeah. Britain, yeah. and... Yeah. You know, it, it undervalues like so many people doing amazing work here that like, let's tell that story, you, you, you know, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So it, it frustrates me. Um, and I know it frustrates someone like you and other organizations that are doing the work and uh, get the headline. So appreciate you. Yeah. Things, things can always, things can always be better. Um, you know, I, I think we hear a lot of headlines around folks struggling with houselessness and addiction here in, in, in Portland, especially downtown. Um, that's not a new thing. Um, and it's also not something that's, that's uh, specific to Portland. You go to any of the 50, hundred largest cities and, and you'll find um, struggles with those, those same things. Um, what you don't hear is the, the, the counter to that and the, the number of neighbor associations and people that are volunteering to help make sure the people that are struggling with houselessness you know, have access to toilet paper, and places to put the trash and ways right. to get food access. And there's a lot of amazing stories that are, that are coming because of some of the things that we're struggling with that we just we choose not to, to talk about those things or acknowledge their existence as right. well. Um, yeah. but, but none of the things that, that we're, we're seeing being tied to Portland are, are specific things only to Portland as of today. And it's, I guess it's a good kind of uh, jumping off point for the next part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Just businesses wise here and growth and startups, you know, as a whole, uh, what do you think? Like, how, how are we doing? What, what are the, you know, the prospects, yeah. not only in Portland, but a, across Oregon as far as growth and economic development? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, our secret sauce in, in Oregon is, is really something that goes back to, you know, if you were on the wagon train in the, in the mid 19th century and you were on the Oregon trail in Idaho, you got to a point on the Oregon Trail in Southern Idaho where you either went south to go to California um, or you kept on going west into, into the Oregon Territory. And, and what made that decision for you was whether you were trying to get rich or whether you wanted to do the grueling challenge ahead of building something in community with other folks. Um, the people that wanted to get rich, they went to California, <laughs> right? And so what we were left with was um, people that were coming here and matching up with the indigenous folks that we had here that were amazing traders, were amazing people that could travel large swaths of the United States um, because they had good communication skills and they were great at building things. And so I think that ethos lives on today in the kind of startups and businesses that we have. We have people that yeah. really care about craft, um, not necessarily it being really, really expensive. And so mm -hmm. take our food scene, for instance, you know, you, you won't find other cities where top chefs go and start food trucks, right? Yeah, so their right. food can be more accessible. Yeah. Um, but here, like that's, that's the norm. You, you expect to be blown away by something at a food truck. Mm -hmm. um, that's not the case in other cities, right? So that ethos seeps into our, into our businesses. 
And also what it means is like people care a lot about what they're building for their business, but they also care about community. They also care about balance, you know, just as hard as they're going to work during the week, they're going to also spend the same amount of time, you know, yeah. playing on the weekend, um, totally. surfing or going to the gorge or the mountain or, or whatever. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think we really attract the kind of folks um, that want to build the next Facebook and that's not a knock for the folks that do. Um, but we people, we get people that want to do things their own way and do it with other folks and do it in community. Um, even if it's not a billion dollar company. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I think it's going to stay that way. I don't see that changing. Hopefully not. No, no, no. I mean, as an, as an economist, I think we always hear these things about, oh, Portland's going to turn into, you know, San Francisco or Seattle or whatever, but like it, it can't. So the people that can really afford San Francisco, they're not moving to Portland. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. The people that exactly. can really afford escalating prices in Seattle or Vancouver, BC, they're not moving to Portland. They're staying where they're at. And so yeah. what we're left with and what data shows is that, you know, the people moving here from California, they're low income earners. And we, we accept this idea that, oh, Californians are up in prices on, on, on homes. That's not true. It's people moving from the suburbs into Portland that are mm. upping the prices of homes. Hmm. Um, but yeah, just from a sheer like cost perspective, like we can never become San Francisco because the yeah. people that are filthy rich there can afford San Francisco. And so they're not right. going to bring that up here. Yes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. And, you know, as far as the metro area, like I live out in the West suburbs and Tigard and it's obviously growing a lot out here. Yeah. It's getting, yeah. It's getting yeah. more diverse, which I, it yeah. was awesome, awesome to see. So I think, um, and of course the other parts of the state. I grew up in Southern Oregon. That's growing business-wise. It's cool to see, you know, something like that. And obviously, yep. some black yep. companies down there. So I'm super positive and optimistic. And I, I think it's important to share that message for folks, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a huge opportunity around economic development to, to leverage the, the urban-rural divide. Um, I, I think when you look at the people that are working in the I-5 corridor in the Portland metro area, it's people that are coming here because they love the amenities that surround the metro area. And so from an economic development standpoint, I'd love to see us figure out, all right, hey, you know, Dan works for a, a tech company that's got 100 employees. What we realize is half of those employees are spending three to five weekends a quarter out at the mountain or out on the coast. Well, what if we built out a, a co-working space where those people, instead of going out on Friday, they could go out on Wednesday. And they can go to the same place that they love. They just go there a couple of days early and they can get their work done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you bring money to that area that you're already going to anyway. And the work still gets done. And from a business perspective, you get employees that stay longer, right? So you go to your employees that's already going to Tuesday on a Friday and you say, hey, you can go there on Wednesday if you want. Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, really? Yeah. Here's a place where you can go work from. You know, here's how we'll, we'll do the workaround. And if there's anything we've gotten good at in the last 18 months, it's working remotely. Right. Um, it's a great way to get people, you know, more time out in the rural areas of our state. And it's a great way for people around the state to also understand people in the metro area aren't that, that, aren't that bad of folks. And they, <laughs> they, they love the, the stuff happening in the rural area. <laughs> they might not like us. I lived in Coos Bay for a while, so let's say Pacific City. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I want to talk about a kid's company about, um, yeah. y- you know, if you've been following your company, it's been awesome to see the growth and the different ways you're expanding. Uh, so, so for the folks that don't know about the company, you can talk a little bit about it. 
Yeah. So the kids can be about, um, started as a, as a book that a dad made for his daughter. So our, our founder, Jelani memory, um, he's got six kids, um, a blended family, four white kids, two black kids. And he made, um, a kid's book about racism to help him, um, navigate the conversation with his, uh, eight year old daughter around racism, and what that meant. And so, um, it was a gift to her. And, and immediately when she got it, she was like, all right, what's, what's the next one? You could do this topic. You could do this topic, you could do this topic. And, um, he was like, no, this was just, this isn't a business idea. This was just for you. And so he reached out to me and a number of other folks and we were all immediately like, yes, this is, this is an amazing thing. And especially for someone who, like myself, who's got three kids, like these are the tools we need as parents to navigate, um, not only easy conversations, but, but tough conversations, yeah. right? Like I don't want to mess up a topic around gender or a topic around, you know, slavery or whatever. Um, and I, I think what we tell ourselves as adults is like, if I'm not talking about it with my kid, then my kid's not dealing with it. And the sad reality is that they already are dealing with it. They're just dealing with it without the person that they trust and love the most. And so out of that experience, um, you know, our company was, was born. And so now we're 70 plus books in, um, we've got an amazing podcast network that we started that Apple chose to choose as one of the top podcasts, uh, um, on iTunes, uh, this past year in 2021. Um, and then we launched an app where we're putting a, a bunch of amazing, uh, video, uh, and audio content there where you can go do a deeper dive on a kid's book about racism or learn more from the author about a, a kid's book about the Tulsa race massacre and what that means. Hmm. Um, yeah. So what's, uh, what's next for the company that you can share as far as, um, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, we, one, we we're, in, we're really lucky to have an amazing team. Um, you know, we, 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 we couldn't be where we are without the amazing folks, um, both on our team and the partners we have, our investors, um, you know, 2022 is, is really around, um, getting more folks onto our app and expanding, um, membership and community. Um, it's also about distribution. So we're, we're looking at, uh, getting our books translated into multiple other languages and selling them around the world. Um, and then developing other, other age specific categories around content that we, we think, you know, it's, it's amazing to make kids books, but at the end of the day, most of our books actually talk to parents, right? Yeah. So we're, yeah. we're, we're looking at what it would look like to, to make a book for parents. What would it look like mm. to, to make a, a, a book, um, that, that really speaks to our values around diversity and empowerment. Um, cause there's not a lot of parenting books out there that, that yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, and then do a deep dive with the the champions that we have in our network. So you know, the, the biggest champions for us have definitely been educators. Um, we work with hundreds of schools around the country. Um, and so we're, we're, we're trying to figure out how can we add more value um, to teachers um, and help them um, do the social emotional work that they're looking to do with kids um, yeah. across the country. And so we've got some, some great partnerships that we're working on and, and really excited around what, what, a kid's company curriculum looks like to, to support teachers um, in the classroom. Very cool. And you're the, the chief operating officer there. I'm chief right? op so I, yeah, so I, I do spreadsheets, I pay bills. Um, I do, you know, HR stuff. Don't, don't ask me to design anything. Um, I'll just tell you if, if we make money, I lose my eye. So, uh, well, I, I think before we go is I, yeah. I just want to get your, your advice maybe to people listening and, and me that, you know, folks that are involved in a lot of things feel like they're stretched thin. It's a question I like to ask because it feels like this past year or two, um, and I've shared with some people, I've, I've gotten really burnt out in some things 
it's, yep. it's exacerbated because of the pandemic. So I just, how do you, what are some, some tips or things? Um, you know, I, I think the, the pandemic and George Floyd have been really helpful in, in really eliminating things and, and having more clarity around what's important and what's not important. And I think pre COVID pre George Floyd, it was more things. And now it's a handful of things and everything else doesn't matter at all. Mm. Um, and I, and I think, you know, for me, I'm always, you know, taking stock of, you know, if I could volunteer my time, what, what kind of things would I be working? Right. Um, and then I look at, okay, where am I currently volunteering my time into those things align? Um, and, and if they don't, then, then it's okay. Close, close a chapter because we, sh- we shouldn't be doing things just because we always, we all, we've always done them or I've been doing them a long time or whatever. Um, they should be serving a purpose. Um, and so, you know, seeing the, the stuff that we've been dealing with, seeing people that struggle with COVID, um, it just really, really reminded me that, you know, life is short. Um, focus on one of the things that, that we're really, really passionate about um, and try and make this world a better place, right? And I think it's easy for in Portland to, to fall for having good intentions, right? But, um, you know, good intentions isn't going to help a, a, the next George Floyd from happening, right? And so how can how can I attach my energy, my resources, my treasures to changing outcomes and changing experiences for folks. Um, and I think for, for a lot of organizations, that means dealing with a really tough word. Um, and that word is accountability, right? And so what does, what does accountability look like for us? Cause this is all work, right? None of yeah. us are ever done. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's one of the things that I, I always stress to people is, you know, practice doesn't make perfect it makes permanent. Right. And so, you know, just keep doing the work, take feedback, be curious, learn along the way. Um, and don't settle for just having good intention. Right. Don't yeah. settle for, I got the black lives matter sign. What do I need? Like I'm good. Right. <laughs> you got to be doing things that, that show that black lives actually matter. Yeah. And let's, and uh, before I go, I would like to talk a little bit about that accountability yeah. because it, you know, I, I think everybody knows during George Floyd, <laughs> a lot of companies threw up the black square Football. or everything. So well, here we are, you know, Pat, yeah. as you take stock and maybe local companies that are doing yeah. the work, I, I want to be positive here <laughs> versus some that said they were going to and didn't. Yeah. Um, how, how is that? How has that been? Or- I, I think at the end of the day, human nature always takes hold. Right. And so, as someone who's an economist, it's easy to look at data and say, from a data standpoint, um, if you're a capitalistic pig, the best way to make money, if you're solely concerned with making money, is to invest in women-owned and minority-owned companies because they return higher returns than white, male, cisgender-owned companies, right? So if we're not doing it, it's, it's clearly not a, a money-making motive, right? Mm. And then you've got the moral imperative of, going and saying, oh, well, you've got people and groups that haven't been part of something. I want to make sure they're part of something because that's a moral, we'll, we'll, we'll even things out. And so people aren't doing it because of that either, either, right? So they're not doing what's financially beneficial for them. They're not doing it because, you know, morality is pushing them to do it. And what you're left with is human nature of people do what's comfortable, right? And so at the end of the day, you know, we harken back to what we were doing 10,000 years ago. We were living in the forest, right? You, you avoid things that are different from you and you embrace things that you're familiar with that, that are similar to you. And that's continues to, I think, play out in, in this world. And so 
<clears throat> the fascinating thing is when you when you go and take things like DEI, people want things to be easy. They want them to be bite-sized. Don't want to have tough conversations. But in all these other worlds, we talk about how growth happens when things are tough, right? So working out, man, you know, when I'm sore, that's good because I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. You know, people always talk about it in, embracing in the startup, you know, culture, in, in embracing, you know, tough things and struggle. And, and we understand how that's a good thing. But when it comes to DEI, no, nah, I want to do it on my time frame. I want to do what's comfortable for me. Um, and I think th those are some of the shifts that, that we need to have happen. And I think what we're seeing, at least here locally in Portland, is you're seeing more people getting in and, and disrupting systems and saying, yeah, that's cool that you wanted to write a check for Pitch Black, but how, how, what does accountability look like for you? Because the last mm -hmm. thing I want is to take a check from somebody and then a week later we're finding out that, you know, they, they won't allow women to use the bathroom on the third floor or whatever, right? Um, and so I think that's becoming more ingrained into how we have conversations and how we build community and what we mean when we want partnerships and business partners. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just a money-making motive. We're thinking about all these other things. Um, and we're thinking about, you know, who's included, who's not included. So, you know, some friends and I, we, we did something called the Do do More Pledge. And it was, it was all about connecting to accountability and understanding that all the things are connected. Um, recently, there was a, there was an, um, an event that was going to be put on, and it was, it was five um, white speakers for the, for the event. And it's like, wow. And it was presented as like, these are top business people in Portland. And it's like, wow, like, I got to think, like, if you're talking about the top business folks in Portland, they can't all be white people. Um, and so there was a community dialogue and then they're like, no, you're, you're right. Like we, we should be representative of what the community looks like and, and um, what we aspire our community to be. So, you know, we're not going to do events that don't, you know, include at least one person who's, who's not a male at least one person who's a person of color because that's the place that we're living in now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a tough time because I think we're, we're dealing with a point in time where legacy organizations, legacy power structure in Portland is, is still trying to hold on to things and using an older playbook. And you have these newer people that are coming into leadership that are like, why would I use that old playbook? Like it, it, yeah. it never worked for all of us. And I want to work with a playbook that works for all of us, not just some of us. Um, but all of that's based in people, people leaning on things that are comfortable for them. And for a lot of folks, it's the old way of doing things is, com yeah. is comfortable. And I'm, I know how that plays out. And I know the pieces that go into it. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's exciting that that shift is happening and thanks for, for doing that work. And then the, tying back to the accountability piece of no matter, you don't have to be a bit huge business. If you're, you know, a business of one, like I am, you know, you know, doing the work. Um, I just like, um, you know, I pay to be a member of partners university and they just sent an email. I say, if you're going to be a member, you have to sign this accountability pledge. And it was really like, okay. Um, so to see those things, it's, it's stepping back just like we don't want your you know paying for it's great but there's an added right. layer to it so seeing that and, yeah um well Stephen, thanks for sharing time with me and you know for folks that want to learn about pitch black i know there's a new site uh which yep. i've checked out yep. and i know mitt yep. um, what and what's that what's the site it's uh www.pitchblackpdx.com 
Um, we've got all 10 people that are going to be pitching and their companies there. Um, and, and more information about the event and also how to connect with us if you want to support. Great. Thanks so much, Stephen. Thank you. You have a good one. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well. 